Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we talked to Reed Wilkins from 630 Ched about the end of the Edmonton Oilers season. Are they happy with how far they got? What is next for that team? Also, we'll talk to Jill Officer about being named Curl Manitoba's new high performance director. That's all coming up on the podcast. Let's focus tonight on Edmonton with the host of Inside Sports on 630, Chad Reed Wilkins. Today, Reed, the Oilers held their final media availabilities after last night's defeat. What's the feeling today around the organization? Well, it's, uh, you know, I think there's definitely the feeling that there were a lot of good things about this season, but ultimately they're, they're going home without the Stanley Cup. Uh, you know, I think it's uh, a step forward from the last couple of years when they were beaten in the first round, or I guess even the qualifying round against Chicago in the bubble in the summer of 2020. Uh, I, I think that they are proud of uh, what they were able to do after having a stretch of uh, 15 games in which they won only twice. I mean, don't forget, uh, uh, you know, December into January, they had a run where they went to 11 and two. They were a few points out of a playoff spot when Jay Woodcroft took over as head coach. And then, you know, they played pretty well after that and, and did make the conference final. So uh, I think there's uh there's some pride in how they handled that and bounced back from that. I think there's a, a belief and a respect for what Jay Woodcroft and Dave Manson did coming up from Bakersfield to join the coaching staff. But I also think that they, they know, still know there's work to be done and there are no guarantees going into the next season. Leon Dreisaitl specifically referenced um, what happened after the 2017 playoffs. And it looked like the Oilers were, uh, you know, a team on the rise. And I remember in the fall of 2017, some people even picked them to win the Stanley Cup and they, they missed the playoffs in 2018 and they missed the playoffs again in 2019. Uh, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I think they're, they're realistic about everything. Um, I think that there are uh, reasons to be optimistic personally, uh, for the future. I, I think the team looks like one that can be, that, that should be a playoff team every year. I mean, there are no guarantees in the NHL, but just even the high end talent alone that they have, uh, is, is pretty daunting, I, I think. And, uh, it's as, as they show this year when they, when they play the weaker teams in the NHL, they can they can really just outmatch uh, some of these teams because they have McDavid and Dreisaitl. But there are there are question marks about who's going to be back, and I think that there are areas of the roster that are going to have to be rounded out or improve if they're going to win a Stanley Cup. Does one of those positions involve the goaltending? Well, I think so. And Mike Smith today, to me, sounded like a man that might retire. Um, I know he has a year left on his contract and I, I know it's less than 24 hours after a pretty disappointing loss, but you know, he was pretty honest about, uh, you know, some of the tough stretches of the season. He went through injuries. Um, you know, he's obviously not getting any younger. I know a lot has been made about his age. So, you know, he, he played a lot longer into the playoffs than all the younger goalies in the NHL, most of the younger goalies in the NHL, but he, he sort of sounded like a guy that if, if I had to wager one way or the other, that might not be coming back. And even if he does come back, they're, they're going to have to find somebody to compliment Mike Smith. Uh, you know, a lot of reports that Miko Koskinen is going to play in Europe next year. So, yeah, what do they do for the other goalie? Is it is it if Smith plays, is it Mike Smith and Stuart Skinner who got into a few games this year and generally did all right? 
is it going to be Stuart Skinner and somebody else? Are they going to have to go out and sign a free agent or, or trade for somebody? You know, it's there, there were so many questions about the Oilers goaltending this year. But the bottom line is, in March and April, in most of the playoffs, it, it was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, you know, like Smith had two shutouts against L.A. He, uh, he outplayed Jacob Markstrom in the second round, even though he got pulled in the first game. I think if you watch the highlights of some of the games in the conference finals, sure, there are some, you know, a couple goals specifically I can think of where you might say, oh man, he needed to stop that or needed to stay in his crease. Having said that, he also made some pretty big saves along the way. And and I think, uh, you know, game three isn't close going to the third, if not for Smith. And I think even last night's game uh, isn't 3-1 for the Oilers after two periods, if not for if not for Smith, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's going to be a position where they're going to need at least one guy. Maybe it's an internal solution, but there are some question marks there. Yeah. He was awesome in the first two rounds of the playoffs. And then just Colorado's a better team than Edmonton. They were all year. They finished much higher in the standings points wise. And for the first time, you know, it doesn't happen very often, but the best team in the conference actually makes the Stanley cup final. And so I think if you're, it, this is my perspective coming from outside of oil country. If you're the Oilers, right? Yeah, you, you, it sucks to lose, but Colorado's a buzzsaw, and they've been building to this for years. I think Edmonton to make the conference final is a pretty good accomplishment this year, and beating the Flames along the way is pretty good as well. So overall, is this season a success for the Oilers? Oh, that's a good question. I, I mean, I, I think, I, I mean, I, I think it's it's a good year. Um, uh, I mean, it's, uh, I guess it's not a failure. Uh, I mean, you failed to win the Stanley cup, but it's, it, it's not a failure. I mean, you didn't miss the playoffs. Uh, you didn't lose early in the postseason. I, I do think a lot of fans will take satisfaction in winning the Pacific division, especially since you, you did beat Calgary along the way. And you're right. Colorado was favored against the Oilers. Um, you know, I would have thought at least the Oilers could take it deeper in but Colorado ultimately is has a better roster than Edmonton they, they've you know they've done a great job rounding out their roster supporting the high-end talent they've able to get some guys at or near the top of the draft like McKinnon and Landeskog and, and McCarr who's the best player out of that draft even though he went fourth overall so yeah it was a, it was a team that the Oilers would have had to have brought their a game night after night uh, to have a chance to win the series and and plus you would have had to have Colorado play their B or C game. I mean, that was probably Colorado's B game last night and, and they still ultimately found a way, uh, found a way to win. So, and I think especially with some of the key players on the orders who were playing a bit banged up as well, that didn't help. So, yeah, I mean, I, I hesitate, I suppose, to use the word success in terms of like a full on, uh, absolute success, but I, I think there were a, a lot of positive signs. I mean, just going into the final four, like I mentioned, playing through a bad stretch, playing through a coaching change, putting it together. I mean, there was some obvious improvement with some of the younger players. McDavid and Dreisaitl, I, I think, stepped up in the playoffs in, in some big moments and, and can probably put a lot of the criticism behind them that, yeah, they've never done it in the playoffs. So, yeah, I, I think there were, were there was some growth. Let me put it that way. Some very positive growth. Well, especially with those the latter two, the superstars on this team, right? there's no argument that can be made about them not showing up 
in big games now. They did, they put up numbers that you just don't see in the playoffs. They're putting up bigger totals than we've seen in years, and they did not make the final. It's it's an incredible amount of points, and I guess the question then is, Reed, how do you supplement that? Because you've got these two amazing players, and Dreisaitl playing on one foot basically putting up these numbers. Is this where we go into the offseason and say, okay, once again, we're looking at the Oilers and thinking they need a little bit more help down the lineup than just those two at the top? Yes, um, though I think the key thing you said is down the lineup. I mean, I think the story the last couple of years after they were eliminated was they needed a couple more players in the top six. And now they still might because we don't know if Evander Kane is going to be back. And even if he wants to come back, I'm not sure the Oilers can afford him. But they have Zach Hyman. I think Kyler Yamamoto, uh, especially in the second half of the season, was pretty solid. I think Ryan McLeod took some steps. He's probably more going to be a third-line guy, but I think he can play up the lineup if you need. So, And then they do have Dylan Holloway coming, who should be a top-six forward. He's their first-round draft pick from 2020. He played last night, only played about three and a half minutes. But I, I think he's part of the future of this team. So, yeah, they, they may need to find somebody to um, you know, sort of replace Kane. I don't know if you're going to replace him directly. But now I think the comparison is is the Colorado Avalanche. It's not being good enough just to make the playoffs. So what, what do they need? Well, I think if you look at Colorado, they probably need a couple more speedy forwards with a bit of skill and or who can be a bit of a jerk out there when you go on the ice. Because I think that's, you know, Colorado, they got their, their third line is fast and skilled and they got a couple guys who can play a little a little cheap if needed. And, I, you know, I don't have a problem with that. You have to sort of be able to agitate and get out of the, under the other team's skin and, and uh, be able to push the line a bit, especially in the postseason. So probably a couple forwards like that, maybe with Holloway, one of them is internal. I, I think on defense, they, they could – it'd be great if they could add like a, a sort of a beefy physical defenseman. Uh, you know, I know there's a, there was a lot of talk here – throughout the season that are Barry and Bouchard redundant, uh, especially if you look at Bouchard, probably going to be getting the, the this call on the first power play next year. And then, like you said, the goaltender. So, you know, I, I remember a few years ago, you know, Rob Brown and I doing our show after the game. And, and I remember it might've even been the year before they drafted McDavid. So another year where they finished in the bottom three in the league and, and were pretty bad. You know, I remember Rob, when I went through the roster and Rob said, well, there are minimum 10 players away from making the playoffs and maybe as many as 14. And that was from just making the playoffs. I think now you could probably say there are four or five players away from being a legitimate Stanley cup contender. I said, I said a lot in the previous two years, the orders are good, but not great. I feel like this year I'm saying they're very good, but still not quite great. They're still trying to, get into that upper tier of, of, of five or six teams, a lot closer than they have been in a long time. Yeah, it's it's tough to enter that fray, right? And I don't think the Pacific is is super strong right now. You had the Flames this year, Vegas took a step back, all the California teams, uh, you know, LA was a bit surprising, but, you know, Anaheim and, and San Jose are down there. So there's no reason why the Oilers can't be at this level or better next year. So I guess this is a, a huge offseason then for Ken Holland, a lot of pressure on him, wouldn't there be? Yeah, I think there always is. I, I think there was a lot, uh, a lot last season as well. You know, it's uh, it was, it's kind of interesting to evaluate how some of the moves he made turned out. I think the trade of Warren Fogle for Ethan Bear, 
you, you kind of traded for two players who uh, I, I guess overall, would you say kind of underachieved this year? It was odd for Fogel because he played all 82 games in the regular season and then he got scratched for some playoff games. He's one of those players who can skate pretty well, doesn't finish a lot. Uh, so I wonder what his future here in Edmonton and, you know, then Ethan Bear was kind of a, an extra defenseman for a lot of the year for, for Carolina. Cody Cece was, uh, turned out to be a good free agent signing. He had a really good year here in Edmonton. Um, you know, they traded for Derek Broussard, which was inconsequential. He hardly played, uh, at the trade deadline, but they, you know, they also traded for Brett Kulak, who was very solid on the back end is a local kid from a community called Stony Plain, just outside of Edmonton. So I think he's likely to uh, to resign so yeah so the, the challenge for holland is to try to round out the the roster and and probably to do it with some affordable players i mean the Oilers are still very close to the cap i know a lot of people bring up the fact well miko koskinen's contract of a little over four million dollars will be off the books fair enough but basically darnell nurse is getting a, a raise of about that amount right so it, it kind of it kind of cancels that out, but yeah, I mean, can you find can a can somebody on an entry level contract do it? Like I mentioned, Holloway, somebody like that, can they can they play? Can McLeod step up and do a little bit more? And then what are you going to get out out in the market? Uh, you know, do you trade somebody like Barry or Fogel or Cassian? Uh, and try to bring somebody in that can bring a little bit of a different dimension. Well, Reed, appreciate you hopping on a bunch during the playoff run. Thanks for this, and uh, enjoy the uh, offseason in Edmonton. should be a, a, an important and busy one. Yeah, thanks for having me, Christian. Now, Curl Manitoba has announced that Connie Laliberti, the 1984 world champion skip, has guided the Curl Manitoba high-performance program for almost 20 years. Well, she's retiring. Effective June 30th. So who will fill that void? None other than Jill Officer. Olympic gold medalist, world champion. The career second, considered by many to be one of the greatest curlers, not just in Canadian curling history, but the world, really. She will become the new Curl Manitoba High Performance Program Director. I had the chance to chat with her earlier today that she starts her new role. And I started by asking her how she feels about this new gig. Well, you know, it's really exciting and uh, a little scary and uncertain all at the same time because, uh, you know, it's a, a new position that I think is is important and it's important for curling in Manitoba. And um, Connie has done an excellent job of evolving, the, starting the program and evolving it over the, you know, last like almost 20 years. So, um yeah, so it's a lot to walk into, but uh, I'm really excited about the opportunity and the opportunity to um, maybe, you know, expand or put some Jill Officer twists on it. <laughs> Before we get to that, I want to talk about Connie Laliberti's impact on you as someone who grew up curling in this province. Obviously, she's one of the greats in curling. Did she, in her role as High Performance Program Director, uh, impact your career? Well, you know what? I would say upon reflection that Connie probably impacted my career more as an athlete. Uh, we were in juniors and just sort of coming a little bit out of juniors when Connie and, and her team were in their prime. Uh, and I think we looked up to them as a women's team from our province and, and us being a junior team. So uh, I recall that having almost more of an impact on, on, 
me as a as a player and an athlete than than Connie's high performance program. Um, It's changed and evolved so much over the years. We had some involvement, but then we kind of moved into the national system pretty quickly. And so we ended up having less involvement in in Manitoba. But uh, yeah, like I said, I think her impact on me is more as as a player and someone that I looked up to. And what would you say about her impact then on curling in this province as a whole and her almost two decades in this position? Yeah, well, I mean, Connie has always been, you know, super knowledgeable and she's very, um, I think, reflective and, you know, really understands the game, uh, thinks about it, you know, gathers information to, you know, put out appropriately. Um, You know, one of the things I actually think I was most impressed with that this this was something recent that, um, you know, here in Manitoba, we have a lot of tuck sliders and it's a traditionally a very Manitoban curling thing. Uh, and Connie put a ton of work into the uh, technical uh, aspects of what makes a good uh, solid tuck delivery, which is not something a lot of people know about. I, I don't know a lot about a tuck delivery. Um, you know, when I've taught at camps, I've asked people who are tuckers like Mike McEwen to come and help me because I, I don't have that knowledge. And Connie took it upon herself to uh, sort of bring that, you know, into the program. And, um, you know, I just think that because of things like that and and realizing where there's gaps, I think it's, you know, she's done a great job of it evolving. I love that embracing kind of the the Manitobaness of it. Mhm, absolutely. So, tell me some of the Jill officer twists that you have planned if you can tell me at this point. <laughs> well, that is a bit of a challenge to to, you know, sort of explain where I might see opportunity. Um I think I still have a job to do in getting my head around everything that Connie does right now. So we're, we're in a bit of a transition phase. I just started Connie's on until the end of June. I think that's the priority right now. I think that will give me a better idea um, of wh- what other things we might be able to add or, or do um, that's maybe a little bit different. Um, I'd like to talk to, you know, other people for some ideas and, and stuff like that as well. So I, I don't, I can't really say specifically what my ideas are. I have a few thoughts, but I think the priority is for me to get my head around uh, what's currently going on. It's nice though that you get a kind of month to, to shadow her in, in a way to get a good grasp on what you got to do. And it's June, right? So I guess June isn't the busiest time in curling. No, I mean, it's certainly busy in terms of, you know, the beginning of off season, training and uh you know i know she's got some things going on in terms of dry land training and and stuff like that so you know as much as athletes are not on the ice right now typically uh there's certainly still a lot going on in in curling and things that are happening athletes uh doing training planning their seasons um you know it can still do mental performance training in the summertime things like that so, uh, you know, there, there are things going on, but there's certainly, you know, maybe a little bit less, I could say. So, uh, you know, I'm meeting with Connie tomorrow. We're going to, you know, have a discussion about, you know, this transition because she's got so much stuff and knowledge and experience and 18 years of, <laughs> of, uh, of programming that uh, I, I need to kind of get my head around and that uh, hopefully she can pass on most of it to me. Um, and then you know, go from there. Did you think that, you know, when you started out curling that 
in 2022, you'd still be involved in the game and perhaps you're going to be involved in the game forever? I don't know that I ever thought about it like that. Um, when I, when I curled in juniors and I'm going to date myself here, um, you know, curling was just on the cusp of becoming an Olympic sport. So it wasn't an Olympic sport when I was in juniors. So for me at the time, it was more about trying to get to the Scotties at some point, maybe win a Scotties at some point. Um, so I very much was looking at what is my career going to be because it wasn't possible to have really a, a true career in curling or or the the options were much more limited at the time so I didn't really think about it in that way and so I went off and you know did communications education and worked in that for a bit but then you know we started being really successful in curling and I had to take a step back from that in order to focus on curling and then you know as that started to evolve I was like wow maybe I can make a career of some sort of working in the sport that I love and obviously I did that as an athlete for a very long time and I've been in a transition since 2018 to figure out what my future looks like but I always knew at that point that I wanted it to involve curling I didn't want to cut my, want to cut myself off from my primary community so um in the last number of years I I could I've always seen myself staying in it but 20 30 years ago I, I no I didn't necessarily see I maybe would have thought that I would curl for for a lifetime, like whether it was recreational or otherwise, but I didn't, I don't know that I would have ever thought that I'd be in this position right now at this time. So does this position then preclude you from being a coach for any active team? I would probably say yes, unless it's, uh, you know, I think unless there was, um, you know, unless it was a Manitoba team that was competing at the Scotties, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how what that looks like. I, I know in the past there have been high performance coaches who have, you know, um, coached their team from their province. But now that we have wildcard teams, it's different. So uh, I would say probably it does, <laughs> but I can't say for 100 percent. Did you ever think you'd see a, a free agent frenzy like we just saw in curling? um no I guess not it it was it was pretty wild this year um although anticipated from my perspective uh not really a surprise everything works around the quad um yeah uh my my only thing and and maybe this is somewhere where uh you know I I can help in Manitoba is that there wasn't really a lot of up and coming athletes that were kind of pulled to that top level, you know, um, there was a, you know, a Tyler Tardy or a Colton Lott who's from Manitoba. Uh, I mean, team Zacharias playing with Jen would be another example, but we're not getting a real big influx of, um, of those really good high performance young players that are finding themselves onto an elite team. So maybe there's something there for me to look at. What did you think of the uh, under 25 tournament recently announced by Curling Canada to try and give an opportunity to some of those young and up and coming teams coming out of juniors? Right. I, I didn't read a ton about it, but my initial perspective and thought is that it's going to be a really good thing. I've always thought that there's a bit of a gap there between the transition between juniors and going to into men's or women's um, or now even mixed doubles for that matter. Uh, and sometimes I feel like we lose people in there 
um, because they feel like they have to get their education, which is fine. But then they make that a priority instead of curling, instead of maybe trying to find a way to balance so that they can stay in the sport. So maybe that gives them a little bit more motivation to stick around and do some work because it might not feel like as big of a jump to go from junior play to men's or women's. It's more of a transition period that they can uh, play in that. And I don't know if it means that they can't, I'm imagining that it doesn't mean that they can't play in men's and women's still, but it just gives them an opportunity to compete at a high level where you know, maybe they're still having some success when that success is tougher to come by against men and women teams. I'm curious, and I'll let you go after this. Do you still curl at all, like even recreationally? When was the last time you threw a rock? Oh, last time I threw a rock was in April. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I've been on the ice a few times this year. My daughter started curling this year. Uh, so I, I've been out helping there. I've been out uh, helping Connie, actually, at the High Performance Program this year. And uh, so I have been on the ice a little bit. I haven't played a game probably in a f- two or three years. Uh, for someone like me, COVID didn't really, really help. I wasn't in a position that I wanted to play recreationally. And then when COVID hit, I mean, it wasn't really happening a lot anyway. Uh, so I did really miss being on the ice the year of COVID. So that's the first season in since I was a kid, probably, that I haven't stepped in, in a curling club or on, on the ice. So that I actually found that tough. And I, I really, you know, wanted to go out and just throw rocks with my kid or just to go practice to see where I was at, you know. So I would still be happy to, like, fill in here and there with people if, I, you know, if it worked out or to, you know, spare here and there a game. I, 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 I still love the game and I just can't, I couldn't commit anymore to like that elite level, but granted on a, our Saturday morning mixed league, maybe I'll, I'll give you a shout, Jill. Appreciate this. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Thanks a lot. And uh, best of luck as you go into this new role. Yeah. Thanks so much. Christian. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB sports show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that they should come to this. We try to warn you over the day. You may not share our intellect.